Amen. And then please turn with me to Lord's Day 3. And we'll read question and answer 6, 7, and 8. That is page 203 in the smaller uh, forms and prayers books. It's also in the back of the Trinity, Psalter Hymnal, but page 203 in the forms and prayers. And uh, Lord's Day 3 and 4 uh, take us really back to the foundation of this world and to the first chapters of Genesis. And so, uh, Lord willing, uh, this week and next week we'll be uh, in these two Lord's Days and we'll be in those first chapters of Genesis. So let's uh, read now. I'll say the question. Together let's say the answers, beginning with question and answer six. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? No, God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God, his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Question 7. Then where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. Question 8. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. So far the faithful summary of God's Word. Let us now turn to the Word of God. In those foundational chapters, the beginning of the Word of God, Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we were going to have a longer scripture reading, uh, but Lord willing, we'll be back in these first chapters next week. And uh, we are we are focusing quite narrowly on Genesis 2, verse 15. And so we'll just read Genesis 2, 15 to 17. A very brief overview of how we get there. We have the whole creation week. Genesis 1:1 to Genesis 2:3 and then as is the pattern of Genesis we get from the, we go from this overview to then the the zoom in and that zoom in begins with day 6 begins with a description of of the garden and then the man who's placed in the garden and that begins in verse 15 we'll read just verses 15 to 17 of Genesis chapter 2 Genesis 2, beginning at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, 
You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So far the reading. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation, after the fall, there are a handful of passages, especially in the book of Proverbs, which speak about a good man or a righteous man. But that language is rare and it is defined for us in other places. So, for example, when Abraham is called a righteous man, the Apostle Paul later defines for us exactly what that means and speaks to us about how Abraham was righteous by faith. And certainly if we uh, read the narrative of Abraham and Sarah, we see many ways in which he demonstrated his lack of righteousness and his treatment of his wife and of others. He, he was not a truly righteous man, not on his own strength. He was righteous only by faith. And so uh, if we think about not just uh, being good or, or righteous in that sense of, of being righteous by faith, but if we think about truly good, we know that no one is truly Good. As Romans 3.10 says it, quoting from the Psalms, none is righteous, no, not one. And speaking about our so-called righteous works, Isaiah says that they are filthy rags. Not a single person is righteous. Not a single one of our righteous works is truly righteous. This is the condition we are all in and the condition we have all been in since the fall detailed to us in the first verses of Genesis 3. But this is not how God made it. This is not how we were made to be. You know, we have all this language about, you know, being yourself and being who you were made to be and all that kind of language in our world today. Well, who were you made to be? What what are we supposed to be like? And is there anything bad in that original intention, in that original intention of mankind? No, the, the original intent and purposes that we were made for had true goodness. Very good. And so to go to the foundational chapters of God's word and to zoom in on Genesis 2 verse 15 and and that uh, description of, of, of that more detailed description of God putting man in the garden and, and what God put man in the garden for and then looking a little bit at verses 16 and 17 in the first words that God says to man. This takes us back to not only what Adam was truly made for, but what you and I, the descendants of Adam and Eve, are truly made for. This, this is our true purpose. Though it has been marred, though none of us are any more truly good upon this earth, this is what we should do. This is what you were made for. This is who you really should be. Though none of us really 
is truly good anymore until God will restore us and even restore us fully. Just, uh, just, a, um, uh, just a little anticipation in our conclusion. We'll go to one verse at the end of the Bible that brings our, our whole theme back together in, in one verse again. Uh, but for now, we, we see from one verse in the beginning of the Bible the true purposes that we were made for. And God created man truly good. Not just good in, in, in some sense. Not just good by righteousness and faith. God made man truly good and able to fulfill good purposes. And we're looking at three of those purposes this morning. Made for true fellowship. Made for true service. Made for true worship. And so we begin with this, made for true fellowship. Man was not uh, made to be a solitary being. Uh, Part of that, as uh, the end of Genesis 2 describes, is that God on that sixth day uh, made also Eve and would bring Eve to Adam in the first marriage ceremony. But above all else, man was made for true fellowship with God. Above all else, man was made for face-to-face fellowship between God and man. Notice that God speaks in verses 16 and 17. And Adam hears the very voice of God. And uh, looking forward in in these foundational chapters, even after the fall, we see in chapter 3, verse 8, Adam and Eve, this is now after the fall of the first verses of Genesis 3, In Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Uh, There is a a clear implication here that they, they know what it is to have God come and walk in the garden. But now, because of the fall, they're trying to hide from that presence. But before the fall... Uh, however long that was, and it probably wasn't very long, uh, but how, however, however much time that was, it was true fellowship. It was face-to-face fellowship. They knew God's presence. They knew God's word. And so uh, God speaks the, the word, the first commandment to man in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2, uh, but uh, either man, uh, Adam, uh, repeated to Eve, or, or Eve later heard it from God himself. Either way, uh, Eve knows what God said. Eve knows the very words of God. And so that's part of her conversation with the evil serpent who comes in Genesis 3. And she says in 3 verse 3, but God said, she, she knew what God said. She, she knew the words of God. She knew the presence of God. From the very beginning, there was true fellowship. God walked in the garden. His presence was known. Even though after the fall, Adam and Eve will try to hide from that presence. His presence was known. His words were known. This is what Adam was made for. This is why God himself placed Adam in that special garden. Notice that in question and answer 6, we could say that this emphasis on true fellowship is is what is most emphasized there in the catechism. God created man in his own image, true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God 
his creator. Love him with all his heart and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Well, that living with God uh, was a true reality, a beautiful reality from the beginning. That's how God made it. It's the garden. Everything in creation is good. There's nothing that's chaos. Uh, There's nothing that's bad. But the garden is very good. And man placed in the garden is very good. And the presence of God with Adam and Eve in the garden was known. And it was beautiful until the fall broke that and led Adam and Eve to hide. The breaking of the fellowship comes when Adam and Eve entertain, become hospitable to the devil in their home. They choose to break fellowship with God by listening to the devil's twisted instructions and directions. So now it's only by the coming of Jesus Christ that we can begin to be restored in this fellowship, the fellowship that we were made for. People of God, there are many sins of which we must repent, but let us be sure that we repent specifically of our broken fellowship with God. God still comes to speak with us. Now he speaks to us by his his holy word. God still calls us to speak to him, and now he calls us to do that in prayer. Part of the broken fellowship after the fall is the lie, as those who now have the knowledge of good and evil, we now have the knowledge of this evil lie in our nature. One of the lies that is now in our evil nature is this, the lie that this is not the very word of God speaking to us, directing us, comforting us, guiding us. One of the lies of our evil nature as we now have knowledge of good and evil following Adam and Eve who ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one of the lies is that prayer is just an empty exercise and that it's not us through Christ our mediator coming into the very presence of God and bringing praise and supplication and confession and thanksgiving to God himself. True fellowship has been broken. Let us not be tempted by the lie that such outwardly simple acts as scripture reading and prayer are not what we need. It's it's a lie to say that's not what we need. This, This is part of how the fellowship with God that we were made for begins to be restored, even as it will only be restored face-to-face fully and perfectly in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, we were also made for true service. Man was uh, made for uh, true uh, fellowship. Man was also made for true service. The Garden of Eden was never to be a place of idleness. And in verse 15, we see this especially with the word work, tied to the word uh, garden. And though, as we'll see in our third point, even that word work has a religious uh, implication to it. But 
Uh, right in Genesis 2, verse 15, we see the word work tied to the word garden. And as we think about uh, the work, the service that man was called to, uh, we can go also uh, back to the uh, overview of the whole creation week in Genesis 1, verse 28. And there's the, there is the commandment that both Adam and Eve receive. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, from the beginning, there was a beautiful calling. We don't know exactly what this all looked like and how it was all to be done, but it, it was... It was some perfect form of farming, gardening, husbandry, all those kinds of things. Uh, We can rightly describe the job of Adam as requiring a certain strain of muscle, but of being completely free of any stress. (laughs) There's no weeds, there's no thorns, there's no difficult boss, there's no difficult co-worker, there's no difficulty in your own weakness, imperfectly doing the work that's set before you. This was, this was stress-free, beautiful, perfect work. It was, as uh, Matthew Henry once said it, quote, Adam's work was an addition to the pleasures of paradise. End of quote. Uh, it, is, uh, it is not a small task, it is, we might say, such a big task that uh, it's, this is part of the very reason why Eve is called a helper. Adam, Adam can't do this work alone, and uh, they even need to multiply so that there's more workers to, to do the service that God called for. Uh, but it's all, it's all good work, good service, given to man from the very beginning. Now, uh, let's think for a moment about the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, there is a phrase in, in Revelation uh, that says, you know, from their labors rest. Uh, but the word there for labors, which has also gone into some of our hymns, is, is, is really probably better translated toil. From their toil they will rest. There, there will be no more toilsome work. There will be no more difficult work. Uh, rather, it will be uh, work that can only be enjoyed. Isaiah chapter 65 describes a vision of the new heavens and the new earth. And it uses language of building houses, planting vineyards, and then eating fruit that you work for. And then it says this in Isaiah 65 verse 22. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. End of quote. Now, Let's let's think about this, right? You're you're working, and uh, you're working day by day, and your job is not always easy because of all the thorns and weeds and imperfect bosses and the weakness of your own imperfect working. You were made for work. Now, in the beginning, it was beautiful, and when God restores all things, it will again be perfectly enjoyable, but. Uh, do not allow the lies from the knowledge of good and evil to uh, to creep in and to discourage you, to take you away from the purposes of work and, and laboring as we are able. 
uh, know, understand that work itself is good and part of our original very good intention and part of the very good purposes in joy that God will restore us to. And as we struggle through the not always so enjoyable work of this earth, uh, be comforted looking forward to the perfect work of the future. As one author uh, put it, quote, when our Lord makes all things new, he will abolish every case of the Mondays. Imagine all of the things that you love about work, the satisfaction, the sense of progress, the knowledge that you have brought something that was disordered into a greater state of order, but imagine all of that without the confusion, sweat, or annoyance that is part of our work now. End of quote. You've maybe heard the phrase that the new heavens and the new earth is the eternal Sabbath. Well, now you can just add to that in reference to your work, the eternal Sabbath with no uh, Mondays. It's, it's all perfect work. It's all enjoyable work, as it was in the beginning. Now, let us think for a moment before we go to our third point about, about beauty and ugliness. Adam has nothing to complain about. He has the perfect, beautiful situation of work and all the other purposes that God has given to him. But Adam takes that which is beautiful and he our Father plunged us into ugliness. Work is now ugly. This world is now ugly. The ugliness of sin, our own sin, the ugliness of the impact of sin all around us. The garden was beautiful. The work was beautiful. The purpose was perfect. It was truly good. But Adam took us from beauty to ugliness. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that one of the titles of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is the last Adam. In other words, Adam is the head of us all. We all follow him. We are all in his nature as he is our father. But there is a new head. There's one Jesus Christ who is the last Adam. And what did the last Adam do? The last Adam stepped into ugliness. The last Adam stepped into the pain and the suffering and the betrayal of this world. And the last Adam took the ugliest suffering of this world upon himself as he suffered on the cross for our sins. And the last Adam takes ugliness in order to give the beautiful gift of salvation from sin. The first Adam takes us from beauty to ugliness. The last Adam, as we repent of our sins and trust in him, takes us out of ugliness and into eternal beauty. Now, part of eternal beauty and part of what you and I are really made for is true worship. And that takes us to our third point. Now, in our first point, for the purpose of true fellowship, we saw that especially as we you know, considered the 
commandment of God, the word of God directly to Adam in verses 16 and 17. We saw it also looking forward to the implications of 3 verse 8 and God's presence in the garden. Our second point, we might say we looked especially backward to 1 verse 28. Now, for true worship, this might not look immediately obvious, but the purpose of true worship, we do not have to leave chapter 2 verse 15 at all. It is the most clear purpose described for us in this one verse. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't really look that way. And part of that is the limitations of language. Moses is using very specific Hebrew words in 2 verse 15. Uh, the word for put in 2 verse 15 is not like the Hebrew word for put, such as back in chapter 2 verse 8. This word is only used about 20 times in all of the Old Testament. And it has a more specific meaning. It's to be put in safety. It's to be put in service. Now again, I said it's only 20 times. The Old Testament is, is, is rather large. Many of those 20 times, it specifically refers to something being put in the temple. It's a word that's tied to worship. It's a word that's being tied to put in service to God in a special way. Now, the word for work, that word is not as specific. And it can refer to work of, of toil in the field. But also here, it's, it's a word which is used to describe the work of the priests in the temple. Okay. So the word for work is not as specific. But it's another word which at least can be used to refer to religious service. Okay. So we're going to go from the word put to the word work, now to the second to last word of verse 15, the word keep. The word keep is the most specific. It has been called a priestly word. It is almost always used in this way, to keep the commandments of God, And most often, it is a word given specifically to the priests that they are to keep, that they are to guard the temple of God. So what happens when we put these words together? Uh, it's even been suggested that to try to get at uh, the heart of these Hebrew words, the end of verse 15 should perhaps be translated worship and obey instead of work and keep. Now, 2 verse 15 has, uh, has some of these heavy, heavy Hebrew words. So it's not the easiest verse to translate. But brothers and sisters, it, it, is, a word, it is a verse that is very clearly telling us we were made to worship God. We are placed in his service. That is the true purpose that Adam was able to truly fulfill as the one who was made very good from the beginning. Now, the heavy Hebrew words make that a little bit difficult to see in 2 verse 15. Please turn with me to a chapter that's difficult in a different way, 
but helpful for us in a different way. Please turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, the difficulty of Ezekiel 28 is that we have some unusual symbolism. We have a a king of Tyre who claims to be this great man, who claims also to grasp after the things of God. And so symbolically, he's like Adam. Symbolically, he's like Adam, who has a great position in the garden, but then who will grasp after the knowledge of good and evil, who will grasp after being like God. And so we're we're not going to dig into that symbolism. We're we're not going to work through all of the, the ways that this comes as a word of judgment against the king of Tyre. But that's just a little bit of background to get us to the imagery of worship and temple that Ezekiel gives us for the Garden of Eden. So Ezekiel chapter 28, we're going to read a handful of verses here. We're going to read from verse 13 to 18. Again, we're not going to work through all the, how this is a symbolic judgment against the king of Tyre. Just focus on the thing that's clear here, and that is the language of worship tied to the Garden of Eden as Ezekiel takes us back there. Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning at verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Again, let's take this back to Genesis. Genesis 2 doesn't explicitly say that the Garden of Eden is a mountain. It's implied because the rivers are flowing down from it. But what is implied there, Ezekiel tells us very clearly, Eden was God's mountain. Eden was God's holy mountain. Eden was God's temple. That's that's what a holy mountain is. Continuing on, you were blameless in your ways. So again, there's this is part of this symbolic. The king of Tyre thinks that he's perfect. Uh, Adam really was blameless. Adam was truly good when he was in the garden. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O garden cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Again, a lot of symbolic things going on. We're not going to dig into it all. But who who are we? We are those following Adam and Eve who are corrupted. The language of the catechism is that we are now poisoned. We have lost the truly good purpose that we were made for. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Now verse 18 of Ezekiel 28 By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Now, 
There the religious significance is immediately obvious. It's a symbolic language taking us back to Eden. Your sanctuaries. You know, the temple in Jerusalem is described as having sanctuaries. It has the most holy place and it has the holy place. And in that most holy place, there was one thing, the ark, which you could not touch lest you would die. The Garden of Eden is the especially beautiful place of God's good creation. It is where things are very good. It is the temple of God. And there are sanctuaries. There is even the Holy of Holies. There is a central place with a tree of life. And then one thing that you cannot touch lest you die. People of God, we were made to worship. That's why God made us. Oh, He made us for face-to-face fellowship. He made us to serve Him, but He made us to worship Him. He is worthy of all our praise. And He has shown that so clearly in that though we plunge this world into ugliness, He gave His only Son to deliver us from sin, to restore us to the truly good purposes of service, of fellowship, of worship. Do not believe the lies that we now have with our poison and corrupted nature, having taken hold of the tree with knowledge of good and evil. Do not believe the evil lies that you should not worship God. That God doesn't deserve our worship in every way, including the special set-apart way of one day in seven. Do not believe the lies that this is not what you were made for. This is the truly good purpose of man. The truly good purpose to which we will be restored. And God is worthy of all our worship. He is worthy of all our Now, Ezekiel 28, there's some heavy imagery. Genesis 2, verse 15, there's some heavy Hebrew words that make the purpose of worship not immediately apparent. For our conclusion, let's go to one verse at the end of the Bible that brings all these purposes back together very simply, very directly. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Let us seek to put away the lies of the devil and our own sinful poison nature. Let us seek to truly have fellowship and truly serve and truly worship God now. And let us long for the day when these purposes are perfectly fulfilled through Christ, the blood of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. True. Fellowship. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And His servants will worship
him. That is Revelation that is Revelation 22, verse 3. Now look at Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and his Lamb will be in it, and his servants, true service, will worship, true worship, him. People of God, these are good purposes. These are the purposes that we are made for, that that we will find contentment in through Christ. These are the purposes to which we will be restored for eternity by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, you are good.